Welcome on in to the Zach Gelb Show right here with you on CBS Sports Radio. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach on this Monday. Happy, a very happy, a truly heartfelt happy Monday to you. Hopefully it's been a good one. Either way, whether it's bad, hopefully you make your day a little bit brighter. It's been a great day. We're looking to continue that right here on CBS Sports Radio for the next two hours. And we appreciate you joining us with all the options you got on TV and radio and streaming and podcasts. We welcome and appreciate you giving us a few minutes right here on the Zach Gelb Show with Ronnie Key filling in on CBS Sports Radio. All right, so the AP polls released today. I love AP poll preseason release day because it just shows you how close college football is and gets you juiced up. Then it's right around the corner, week zero, less than two weeks away. And when we start to look at the 2023 season, Georgia, no shock, right? He's number one going for the three-peat. But I would argue right now, no team has a bigger sense of urgency, needs to win this year more than Michigan. This is a massive year for Michigan, and it feels like one of those years where it could come crumbling down afterwards if they do not capitalize on all the momentum and all the talent they have going into this season. You look, right? They are the preseason-ranked number two team in the country. Highest for Michigan since 1991. Arguably, they have the most talent on their team offensively and defensively since 1997 the year they won their last national title. They are poised to make a legitimate run and win a national title this year. Right? They've been to the college role playoff the last two years, not gotten a win, but have won the Big Ten two years in a row, are knocking on the door of breaking through and winning a national title, and also looking to make history, at least for the first time in a long time, I should say, history-wise, in beating Ohio State three consecutive times Last time they were able to accomplish that, 1995 to 1997. So this is a big year in terms of expectations, preseason hype, and belief in Michigan. That right there. But it's also a big year for Michigan because it's going to be their last with their head coach. Jim Harbaugh is going back to the NFL after this season. And the news we got over the weekend all but cements that. Not only has Harbaugh flirted with the NFL the last two years, taking interviews, I think would have accepted the job, uh, accepted a job, I should say, if he was offered one. His interest has been there. But now some news we got from the NCAA over the weekend, I think all but solidifies this is Harbaugh's, if you will, last dance. So in case you missed it, over the weekend, the NCAA rejected their own What's the word? I guess recommendation maybe is the best word to use. Their own recommendation of Jim Harbaugh serving a four-game suspension this upcoming year. Zach hammered the NCAA. This is about maybe a month, six weeks ago. The news first broke that Jim Harbaugh and the NCAA is basically working on a compromise for violations that the head coach committed with when it was, you know, with recruiting and Will you contact the recruits when you shouldn't be? And a little of that was during COVID, so the rules were a little bit wonkier. Either way, the the violations against Harbaugh were minor, but where he got busted for and where the NCAA is coming down on him is for lying. He lied about the impermissible recruiting. He lied about the stupid allegations that were against him, and now the NCAA has gone full bore. And so them rejecting 
Harbaugh serving a four-game suspension this year. It's not Harbaugh getting off the hook. It's not Harbaugh beating the NCAA or getting one over on them. It's actually the total opposite. He's getting off in 2023 because the NCAA is trying to raise hell in 2024. That's what's going on here. They rejected the recommendation. It was a negotiated four-game plea, basically, where Harbaugh had to admit he lied, and usually for lying, which the NCAA values lying more than anything else. That's a six-game suspension. They said, hey, you know, let's let's you know talk it out here. Maybe let's not go to court. Four games. How about that? You like that? I like that. Let's just take it to the uh, the board who votes on this and let's get it approved. And the board said, no way. They want blood. They are coming after Michigan, and they are coming out uh, after Jim Harbaugh. So we could be talking about in 2024, a six-game suspension, an eight-game suspension. It could be a whole year for all we know. The NCAA, there's no rhyme or reason with their punishments. There is no precedent. They don't give a you-know-what about precedent. Each case is basically totally different. We've seen coaches like Bruce Pearl fired. We've seen coaches like Jeremy Pruitt fired for lying. We've seen players like Des Bryant basically miss almost an entire season for lying. This could go any which way, but the way I definitely know it going for sure is this punishment's going to be a whole hell of a lot more than four games. The NCAA is now targeted Jim Harbaugh, and they're going after him. And I don't want to really get, because Zach hammered this a lot, and so... I don't really want to get into the validity of these statements and if the NCAA is right or wrong in here. I want to get into this. Right or wrong, whether the NCAA is actually being fair or not, them targeting Jim Harbaugh is them basically pushing him out of the sport. So now if you're Jim Harbaugh, you have no reason to come back. You've already flirted with the NFL not once but twice. Now you have this loaded roster, highest preseason ranking in 30 years, Chance to beat Ohio State, a team that a lot of people did not think you could beat up until two years ago. Chance to beat them three times in a row for the first time in almost 30 years. This is your chance. This is Jim Harbaugh's chance to break away, get out, and go back to the NFL where he truly wants to be. And now this looming investigation, these looming court cases that are going to be involving Harbaugh and Michigan, I think are only driving him further and further away. This is Jim Harbaugh's last year. And that's why there's a lot of pressure on Michigan. That's why the sense of urgency for Michigan to win this year is higher than Georgia going for a three-peat, higher than Alabama to get back after missing the college football playoff last year. And for Nick Saban to prove the doubt is wrong, higher than USC with Caleb Williams there being the generational talent and trying to win a national title with the best quarterback in all of college football, higher than Ohio State, who's now trying to beat Michigan for the first time in three years to kind of gain their stronghold back on the Big Ten that has been ripped away by the Wolverines the last two years. There's a lot of teams that need to win this year. When you look at what's at stake for Michigan, not just in 2023, but beyond, that's why the sense of urgency is the highest for the Maize and Blue. Not only, I think, is Jim Harbaugh on his way out after this season. Also, you look at this roster and this team. It could be a mass exodus of players going to the draft, of players graduating. And unfortunately for Michigan, they have now recruited like Georgia. They have now recruited like Alabama or even Ohio State. 
where guys leave and you just replace. It's like a, an assembly line. Guys go to the NFL, and then boom, there's another stud right there in his place. Georgia's done that. Bama's done that. Ohio State's done that. Michigan is not recruited at that level. So when you look at their team where you have potentially either draft-eligible guys and or guys that are ready to graduate at quarterback and J.J. McCarthy, both running backs in Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, eligible to go to the draft or ready to run out of eligibility after this season, the entire offensive line, all five guys on the offensive line from Michigan, which that is the strength of their team. They've won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line last year. They are built on ground and pound, right? They're not a finesse team. They're not a passing team. They bully you. They bully you in the trenches. And all five of their linemen, very talented, also all seniors. So you have to rebuild an entire offensive line. You're potentially going to lose your quarterback and your two best running backs after this year. There's a lot that screams rebuild next year for Michigan. So if you're Jim Harbaugh, why are you staying for that? Why are you staying for that? By the way, when you could miss up to potentially the entire year. I don't think it's hyperbolic to say Jim Harbaugh could be facing an entire year suspension. Again, the NCAA is unpredictable. They don't make any sense whatsoever. They don't follow any of the precedent they've set beforehand. They just go based on how they wake up and feel that day. And they feel disrespected, at least by Harbaugh lying to them. And now they are going to get justice. They are going to try to embarrass him the way, essentially, he embarrassed them. Good luck to Jim. But now with that hanging over your head, on top of all the players that could leave after the season, if you're Jim Harbaugh, I don't know why you would come back. And also, if you're Jim Harbaugh and you, let's say, make the college football playoff again and even win a playoff game, not even win the national title, but you make it to the national title game, your stock is literally never going to be higher to get a job in the NFL. This would be a guy that would have three years in a row of winning the uh, the Big Ten, probably. Three years in a row of making the college football playoff. You would think develop a quarterback in J.J. McCarthy into a draftable quarterback, a first-round guy. Possibly could be to Ohio State three years in a row. Maybe win a college football playoff game. Maybe win a national title. That's how that's how truly talented they are. Like, if Michigan hits their ceiling this year, it is winning a national championship. And if Harbaugh does all that, his stock is never going to be higher than it is after this season. So if Harbaugh, who I think desperately wants to go to the NFL, look how he's acted. This was a guy two years ago on National Signing Day, was not in Michigan, was not welcoming recruits to town, he was interviewing for the Minnesota Vikings job on National Signing Day two years ago. If that doesn't tell you right then and there he wants to go back to the NFL desperately, nothing will. Obviously, he did not get the job, went to Kevin O'Connell, but he tried two years ago to get the Vikings job, tried last year to get the Panthers job, tried last year to get the Broncos job. His stock is never going to be higher. And I do think, uh, unlike the last two years, he will. Get his chance from one team this upcoming offseason if, again, he helps Michigan reach their ceiling. There's a lot to gain here for Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. There's also a lot to lose, which is why, again, if you're the Wolverines and you look at this upcoming season, the sense of urgency, the need to win is not higher for any team right now than Michigan's.
they need to win because this could be a dramatic house of cards otherwise. This now with a looming NCAA investigation, potential for a bigger suspension than four games coming down the way for Jim Harbaugh next year in 2024. His desperation get back to the NFL. His chance this year with a super talented team, but not a lot coming back in terms of young players next year. All of it's there for the perfect storm of national title or bust for Michigan. So let's hear your thoughts on that. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227 at Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. I said this about an hour ago. I don't want to correct myself because I said something very stupid. I said an hour ago, if you want to call the show, hey, go so do so. But if you're driving, we don't want to distract the driver. Tweet instead. That was actually probably the dumbest thing I've ever, ever could have said. Because in theory, think about it. Tweeting and driving is 10 times worse than calling and driving. So no distracted drivers here in general, but if you're at a situation, maybe out with friends and listening or about to leave the car, but still want to get in the conversation, can't wait on hold, tweeting, still absolutely uh, absolutely an avenue for you to get involved, but just don't tweet while driving. Also, don't call while driving. We're going to practice safe driving here on the Zach Gallup Show with Ryan and Keith filling in, but I do want to get your thoughts here. If there's another team in college football with more of an emphasis, more of an urgency to win right now, than the Michigan Wolverines. And if you are and you look at Jim Harbaugh, is this it? Should he go to back to the NFL after this? Is this Jim Harbaugh's last year with the Michigan Wolverines? We'll get your thoughts on that. And when we return, a really sad story. A movie we've all seen, The Blind Side. Well, you read some court filings today. Apparently, we've all been bamboozled. It's all been one giant fabrication. I give the details when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gale, but right here on CBS Sports Radio. That is the number to call if you want to talk to me. Yours truly, Ryan Hickey in for Zach on this Monday right here on the Zach Gelb Show. What we are chatting about right now is the pressure on Michigan to win a national title. Not only do they have the pieces in terms of quarterback, offensive line, defense, the preseason ranking where people are buying in, with their number two ranking so far going to the season. It's also the fact this is their last season with Jim Harbaugh as their head coach. This is it. I think Jim Harbaugh is leaving Michigan after this season, not only because I think of the mass exodus that's going to happen with talent after this season where a lot of draft-eligible guys uh, are going to be going to the NFL or a lot of seniors on this team they are just going to graduate, but the NCAA over the weekend announced that they are um, they've turned down and or basically rejected what was a settlement of a four-game suspension sending back from Jim Harbaugh lying to the NCA. They rejected that four-game suspension because they want to levy down a bigger punishment. So Jim Harbaugh, because this has to go to court and you know legal matters, uh, legal matters, we're not going to see a suspension coming down in 2023 now. It's going to be in 2024. But now that only, with that hanging over, I should say, Jim uh, Harbaugh's head only drives home the point more to leave to go to the NFL if you are facing potentially a year-long suspension while having a team that's not great. There's no better time for Jim Harbaugh than right now this season to make his NFL stock as high as it will ever be. That's why I think after this year, he is gone. And that's why if you're in Michigan, no team has a bigger sense of urgency than you 
to win a national title this year. Love to hear your thoughts on that. 855-212-4227. 855-212-4227. At Ryan underscore Hickey and the number three. If there's a team right now in college football with more of an emphasis, more of a pressure to win a national title than Michigan, let me know. And also, do you think, are you with me here? This is Jim Harbaugh's last year at his alma mater. 855-212-4227. We'll go out to Tennessee. Clark is on the line. What's up, Clark? What's going on, boss, man? Uh, I'm going to agree with you. Hell yeah, it's a national championship or bust for, uh, for Michigan this year, especially the way their schedule set up. And it was kind of funny when they handed down the four-game suspension, pretty much a four-game exhibition uh, suspension because of their schedule. I just don't think that he's, he's ready to go back to the NFL just because he's beat Ohio State twice. Michigan has, has pretty much shown – you know, they can win the Big 12, but, you know, that's not, you know, something to write home about. But at the same time, he loses with big boy games. That's all I got to say about it. Appreciate it. And I want to say this, too. Go balls. <laughs> I appreciate the, uh, the call, Clark. Two things there. Number one, look, Harbaugh is an NFL guy. He's an NFL guy at heart, and that's part of the reason why he wants to go back. But, look, to Michigan's credit, they've been right there. Like, I'm not going to tell you that they, can, they can't win the big game. They beat Ohio State twice. That's an, a very impressive accomplishment. Like, Jim Harbaugh has really turned to 180 in my mind. I've doubted him. I thought he was a fraud for a long time in Michigan. To his credit, he knows how to win. He has flipped that entire Ohio State rivalry on its head, and Ohio State is one of the best teams in college football. So I know they got smoked by Georgia in 2021, but honestly, who didn't get smoked by Georgia in 2021? And last year, too, Look, there's no defending Harbaugh Michigan. That was a bad loss. They should have easily won that game against CCU. Didn't. That's on them. But still, that's a team that I do think I would trust to win the big game for sure. But you also, Clark, brought up another good point that I didn't mention. So I appreciate you bringing it up, and that's this. Look, if you're Jim Harbaugh, not only was that four-game suspension negotiated, so again, you were getting less. You look at the NCAA rules, which I get it. Why bother? Because they break them all the time. They break their own rules. So I get that. But for a level one violation which Jim Harbaugh committed by lying to the NCAA. That is supposed to, at least according to their own record book and bylaws, if you will, come with a six-game suspension. So it was negotiated down to four initially, and those four games were like Bowling Green. I know East Carolina was in there. One other team and Rutgers. Four cupcakes. If we get that same four-game suspension or more, Next year, look at Michigan's schedule. Now, the Big Ten schedule is not set yet, in part because also USC and UCLA are coming to town. So we haven't gotten those dates released just yet. But you look right away. Second game of the season, September 7th, 2024. Texas comes to town. Big game. But you also got US, uh, UCLA. You got Wisconsin. You got USC in the schedule. So you have some big games that could be in that four, six, eight-game suspension, if that's what Harbaugh does get next year. Which is why, if you're Jim, again, you are probably rooting and hoping for getting a four-game suspension this year because you're playing three crap teams in Rutgers, four crap teams before you come back and play Nebraska. That's nothing. You don't need Jim Harbaugh to beat East Carolina. You need, though, Jim Harbaugh next year to beat Texas. That's why, again, if you're Jim, I don't see the point of you coming back here in 2024, if you're facing a lengthy suspension and the talent's gone, with a schedule that gets more difficult, by the way, too. This has, to me, why the sense of urgency for Michigan, highest in college football to win a national title this year. 
They're all in this year. Got to get the job done. I think it's going to be pretty ugly if they do not. Speaking of ugly, this is a really sad story. Like That's my first takeaway from this, and that is the fact that, unfortunately now, Michael Orr is submitting legal documents and is claiming, right, Michael Orr, the former Baltimore Ravens offensive lineman, but obviously mo- most well-known for uh, being the focal point in the movie The Blind Side. Ken Foster Care gets adopted by this white family called the Tuies, real-life people, goes to high school, all of a sudden now realizes he's this great player, gets recruited now, gets a scholarship to Ole Miss, All-American there, gets drafted in the first round by the Ravens. Tremendous story. Absolute tremendous story. And now, according to Michael Orr and his lawyers, it was fake. Maybe not concocted, but we were all misled. We were all bamboozled, if you will, and led astray. Because it turns out Michael Orr is claiming, I guess legally this is also the case because the documents have been uncovered, Michael Orr was never adopted. We were sold this bill of goods. He was adopted by this family. Michael Orr was sold to his face. He was adopted by the Tui family and brought in to be under their care and, and give him a stable life, uh, family life they'd never had before. And it turns out Michael Orr was never adopted. The Tui family were his conservators. Big difference. Adoption, you are right legally part of the family. Conservator, yeah, you're associated, but basically the conservators, in this case the Tui family, was able to financially control Michael Orr's future. And it looks like they took full advantage. So again, Michael Orr, this is what him and his lawyers are claiming. They have filed legal documents and now are going to court in Tennessee to prove these rights and to be given his proper compensation. But Michael Orr and co. is claiming that he never got a dime from the movie The Blind Side. That basically he was tricked into signing this conservator agreement that he thought he was signing adoption papers. Turns out they did the the old okie doke and said, actually, no, 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 no. You're signing papers that allow us basically to control your future, but you are legally not a member of this family. Lied to his face for years about it. And the sad part is, forget about the money for a second, because the money's starting, we'll tell you that. The sad part is, is that he just found out in February of 2023. Like, put yourself in Michael Orr's situation. You grow up in a family of 12. You were put in foster care at age 11. You bounce around a ton of, you know, a ton of homes. Never find a true family. Now all of a sudden this two family comes in. You feel welcomed by them. You trust them. They help guide you. Again, they help get you a scholarship. You, they help go to, you know, get you to go to Ole Miss. You are a first round pick. It's truly a rags to riches story. And then you find out almost 20 years later. They're basically using you for money. Saw your athletic prowess and basically tried to do all this song and dance to benefit off your athletic prowess. That's heart. That is heartbreaking from just the fact that he was basically lied to by his family and never truly brought in by the people that he claimed to and call mom and dad, brother and sister for what the last 20 years. That's heartbreaking. But it turns out, at least again, according to Documents submitted by Orr that he never got a dime from the movie. The, each Tui family, right? It was, it was the wife, the husband, and two kids. Those four each from the movie The Blind Side made $225,000 plus 2.5% royalties 
on part of the $300 million box office and tens of millions made for home DVD and, and home, you know, DVR buying. They are rich. Rich, rich. Rich, rich, rich. Off of Michael Orr. And seemingly kind of knew what they were doing. Part of what Michael Orr is claiming is that when the movie was being made, the family was represented by a rep with CAA. Right? CAA is a, a pretty big um, agency firm. They do athletes. They do actors, actresses. I believe singer songwriters as well. They 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 rep legitimate people. They're repping the Tui family. Michael Orr, you would think because he's adopted, was we were told he was adopted. He believed he was adopted. Thought he signed paperwork to say he was adopted. Instead, had a different agent. He didn't have the same agent as the family did. He had an agent who was the same agent that helped him sign this conservatorship paper that basically consented to the two family using and benefiting off his name, image, and likeness. Look, I am not someone that is well-versed in legal documents. I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be a lawyer to you. This is what I'm hoping for. And I think it needs to happen, frankly, more often in life in general. Common sense here needs to prevail. This is going to court, and we know court is all about legal jargon and what's signed this, and okay, this paper was signed. But we need to truly use common sense here. If Michael Orr, what he's claiming to be true actually happened, or he was tricked, and he thought he was signing adoption papers, but instead he was led astray and, and signed conservatorship papers and was lied to where he claims that he was told the only difference was like an age requirement, which is why they couldn't adopt it to sign this conservatorship, which if you look up, there's no age restriction in terms of adopting an adult. If you're 18, you can still could be adopted. So Michael Orr turns 18. A few days later, he signs this conservatorship uh, letter or document, I should say, that he thought was his adoption papers. So this goes to court. I'm going to assume that they're going to say, hey, look, he signed the paper. We did nothing wrong here. I am praying. Common sense prevails. If you are the judge presiding over this case, you got to realize an 18-year-old kid signing this paper, not knowing the difference between conservatorship or adoption papers, how is he supposed to know? How is he truly supposed to know? And now you've been lied to. You didn't think the family was getting any sort of money from this movie. Now you find out, wow, they are rich off of me. And I didn't see a dime of this. He's asking for his money back. Or basically get the money that he was should have been rightly given, given to in the first place. Think about it. There's no blindside movie without Michael Orr. No movie whatsoever. No story. No fairy tale. No book. No heartfelt message that we all kind of rallied around when it came out. Almost 15 years ago, whatever it was. 2009, I think. 2006. The fact that, according to him, he got no profits from this is absurd. It's ridiculous. And again, I'm sure a lot of legal jargon and a lot of lawyers are going to be hired on by the Tui family. Fight this. Say he signed it. He knew what he was doing. I really hope common sense prevails here. And that the court actually realizes an 18-year-old signing a paper really cannot be held to whatever it says when you are tricked and you don't really know what you're doing. That is all I am I am asking for uh, when it comes to this court case being re resolved. But it's really sad. That is really sad that right now Michael Orr unfortunately found out the heartbreaking truth. Again, imagine in February 2023, the lawyer he hired because he guess he had suspicions that maybe the his quote-unquote family 
he thought he had and could trust was lying to him or not being totally upfront about all the money and his story and everything else unearthed a document that said, oh, actually, this is not adoption papers, Michael. This is a conservatorship that you signed. Heartbreaking. So my heart goes out to Michael Orr just as a person. To feel used, to feel crushed, to think that you had a family that instead really was, was loving you more because of what you brought to them versus just loving you for the person that you are. Very sad. But I really hope now common sense prevails and Michael Orr gets bare minimum, bare minimum, what he is justly due. Ryan Hickey in for Zach Gelb right here on CBS Sports Radio. Before we get to the news brief, a very quick reminder. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for your car care needs. Get guaranteed low prices and excellent customer service from the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, most people wake up on a Monday morning, right? Not exactly uh, chipper, we'll say. Maybe take a little extra time to get that coffee in your system, a little extra time to wake up from hopefully what was an exciting and fun weekend. I had a good weekend myself. Uh, but even still then, when you have a fun, exciting weekend, still Monday comes around, it's not that exciting. Well, James Harden this Monday morning said to wake up with violence. Wake up terrorizing Daryl Morey and the Sixers organization. James Harden is in China right now uh, working with Adidas, going to different events. He was at an event, and it, for us, it was Monday morning. There, obviously, the time change, it was not. But this morning, James Harden decided to take a blowtorch to Daryl Morey. Take a listen. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a I know the audio is a little tough because it's echoey. He's in like a half of a gym with people around, and we're just getting this off of cell phone camera footage. That's the best we, you know, only thing really available. It's in China. But if you didn't hear, this is what he said Daryl Morey's a liar, and I will never play for him again. He repeated it for emphasis in case anyone there missed it the first time. In case anyone with a phone did not press record early enough missed the first part, he said, let me make sure everyone is hearing what I'm saying. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never play for him again. I say this with all honesty, and I'm not happy to say this. I hate James Harden. I truly hate James Harden. I don't say the H word a lot. I don't really hate a lot of people in general. It's not really my personality. But I truly hate James Harden. I hate James Harden because he is someone who consistently makes it about others and not him. He consistently blames other people for his own failures. And for me personally, nothing gets me more fired up, more frustrated than someone who does not take accountability. Whether it's in sports or in life. I'm sure a lot of us have friends that are, woe is me. Why am I, you know, why do bad things always happen to me? Oh, that's awesome. Something good happened to you. You got a promotion, a job. That's great. I wish I got that. No. No, 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 no. Don't play the victim card and realize maybe, you know what? Maybe this bad luck you're getting in your life is self-inflicted. Look in the mirror. And for James Harden in basketball, the guy never looks in the mirror. He claims, and he is saying Daryl Moy's a liar because last year James Harden took a pay cut. He stayed in Philly and took a lot less than maybe he could have got on the open market. And reading between the tea leaves, James Harden thought, okay, I'll take a pay cut last year. Now I'm going to get rewarded this year with a bad deal from the Sixers. And instead, Darren Moy said, I'm not giving you more money. 
See how you played in the playoffs? You stink. You're lucky to be getting that money now. So James Harden feels like he got lied to. When in reality, that's the right move. You cannot give James Harden a big-time deal. He does not equate to winning. He is more of a net negative than he is a positive, especially come playoff time. You don't reward those kind of guys with max deals or close to max deals. You can't do it. So I don't think, I don't think Darren Moore is a very good GM, but I applaud him here and staying true to his guns and realize, you know what? I may be double-crossing you. I may have gone back on my word and may have promised you last year that, you know what? I'll give you a handsome deal if you just take this pay cut for us in 2022 so we can get a few other guys to add to the team. And maybe now I am breaking that promise. I respect it, though, because it's the right move. Because James Harden on the court has not earned the money he wants. And he fails to recognize that and now is blaming others like Daryl Morey for not getting the money instead of blaming himself for not playing up to a level or a standard where he deserves the money. If he was first-team All-NBA, if he played well in the Celtics series and helped get the Sixers to bare minimum the Eastern Conference Finals, we are not having this conversation. Harden would have gotten paid either by the Sixers or somebody else. Nobody wants him on the trade front, and the Sixers don't want to pay him because Harden's play does not dictate more money. And the more he fails to realize that, the more he's going to sound like an idiot when he's calling the GM slash president of basketball operations, Darren Morey, a liar on the record not once but twice. This, though, is where it gets interesting. This was the first shot across the bow by Harden in trying to make the life of Morey difficult and trying to get what he wants, which is a trade. Let's go back a few weeks when things were a little bit calmer, but still, Harden has made the trade request. Daryl Moore was on 95.7, the Fanatic, in Philly. He was asked, hey, James wants out. Are you going to trade him? Here's what the Sixers GM had to say. James is a very good player, and I do have a long relationship with him. Yeah. I'm attempting to honor that, but the reality is, if we don't get, you know, either a very good player or something that we can turn into a very good player, then we're just not going to do it. And if James were to turn his mind around, we would all be thrilled. Let's just talk about it from that perspective only. You're not going to make a trade unless what you are getting back is worth it. That is 100% the right attitude. That's the only attitude to have. If you're down Mori, again... You got to look around and say, all right, James wants out. Let's see what the Clippers wants because now that's all he, you know, all he, all, uh, only team he wants to go to is the Clippers. All right, they're offering the 15th guy in the roster, a G League player, and two fresh basketballs. Should we do it? No, the answer is no. So I respect, in a way, Maury sticking to his guns and saying, okay, you want, you want to be traded? That's fine. But until we get the offer we want, you're not going anywhere. The reality at this point is this. If you're down more, and if you're really the Sixers overall, you got to just give up on Harden. Honestly, I would cut him if anything got to it. Because you're not getting anything back worth of value. But moving on from James Harden allows you one of two things. Both are positive. Either you get enough of a return, which again, this is unlikely, but let's play into it. The hypothetical. You get enough in a James Harden trade that allows you to pair those pieces with a few of your own to go send to Portland to get Damian Lillard on your team. You present a better trade offer than the Heat. You get Dame on your team and you pair Dame with Joel Embiid. 
Now for the first time, really in 20 years, the Sixers are a legitimate title contender. They got a player that's better than Embiid on the team that you can trust in the postseason. That's option A. Unrealistic, but still an option. Option B is you trade Harden for scraps. Embiid gets pissed. You have nothing really around Embiid that's going to help you get any closer to a title, even any closer to getting to the Eastern Conference Finals than you did the last few years. Embiid gets frustrated after this upcoming year. He wants out. And then what do you do? You trade Embiid. You get some legitimate pieces back in a trade, whether it's young players, draft picks, both. And you start to build your team from the ground up again. Process 2.0 minus the five years of tanking. Either direction, either catapulting yourself up to the elites if you get Dame, or going down to the bottom by tanking and trading Embiid, either way is a better direction than where the Sixers are right now. If you're Maury, I get why you want to trade or you won't trade hard unless you get something back. But sooner or later, man, you got to make the deal just to get this cancer off your team. All right. Preseason action from the first week of the NFL is officially completed. A big one we're watching here is in San Francisco, the quarterback battle. Look, QB1 is not a question. It's Brock Purdy. This is really only quarterback battle where the backup is actually intriguing. Trey Lance versus Sam Donald. Let's hear Kyle Shanahan, head coach of the 49ers. Give his thoughts on Sam Donald's debut at the 49ers over the weekend. Yeah, I thought he did a great job. I mean, coming in the second half and you're in there with twos slash threes on the whole line. Um, same with, you know, the receivers and everything. So, um, you know, we wanted to be careful with Sam for that reason, but we also wanted him to play too. Um, so it was nice to be able to get Trey the whole first half, get Sam a little bit, and um, hopefully Sam will get a little bit more time next week. I am a Trey Lance defender. I like Trey Lance. I want to see him succeed. With that said, there's no chance he's the backup. No chance. Really, from day one, when they brought Sam Donald in, that screamed, oh, Kyle Shanahan wants him to be the backup. That is the prototypical Kyle Shanahan quarterback. Gets the ball out. You can mold him, coach him, has some good, you know, arm talent. Throw him in the system and let him cook. Now, I don't think the 49ers are going to cut Trey Lance. I think he'll be the backup uh, or the third string, I should say, and the inactive guy for a while until someone tries to trade for him. That's a guy that you don't have to really worry about being a malcontent or being a distraction. But this, I mean, I don't say it feels rigged, but this competition for the backup spot between Sam Donald and Trey Lance feels like Trey Lance has no chance whatsoever. Speaking of Lance, he also talked uh, after the game about his kind of performance and what he's looking for in trying to get that backup role. Just, just taking advantage of every opportunity I get uh, one day at a time, like I said earlier um, in, in training camp. Um, just, just trying to stay present focused one day at a time and, and trust that, you know, whatever's meant to happen will happen. What feels like it's meant to happen is Trey Lance going to be on a different team probably in 2024. That's what feels destined to happen. And you know what? For Trey, it's a shame because injuries really kind of derailed his career in San Francisco. But there's still time for him. You see Jordan Love now, you know, making his debut after sitting three years behind Aaron Rodgers. Time is not done yet. Trey Lance is not done whatsoever, but feels like any chance of him playing is going to be with a new team. And finally, Derek Carr made his Saints debut over the weekend. Kind of talked about what it's like to get a new feel, a new team for the first time in his career. Everything was new. So for me to get out there, more importantly, and play football, you know, in the stadium, um, this time when it wasn't loud. Uh, I mean, we can operate and do those kind of things. Um, it was important to me to do that. It doesn't matter how old I am and how many years I've played in the NFL. 
Look, for Derek Carr, I get it's new and you're still trying to work, you know, um, work your way into the, you know, get used to New Orleans and everything else. This is a big year for Derek Carr. This on paper is a division for your taking. I know the Falcons now, I think recently, last month or so, have been kind of that sexy pick, if you will, where people are starting to buy into the Falcons as a NFC South champ. I'm picking the Bucs. But either way, if you're back in the Falcons, I know I'm kind of an island with the Buccaneers. I don't think Carr in New Orleans is going to work. In large part, I don't trust the health of this team, and I don't trust Dennis Allen as a head coach whatsoever. All right, when we do return here on the Zach Gelb Show with Ryan Key filling in. We just talked about it before, but James Harden is at it again. James Harden has showed you something that he has taken the crown for, not just the NBA, but all sports. I'll tell you when we do return again. Ryan Hickey in for Zach on CBS Sports Radio.